Anybody agree that we're in a war? Is a culture war going on? I got a yes. Are you guys awake? Is this microphone on? Anybody agree we're at war? Is there a war going on for the souls of men and women? Is our nation in kind of a real confusing, chaotic place right now as it relates to all that stuff? Is anybody ready to give up on America? Say no, quick, loudly. I don't believe God's ready to give up. I'm not ready to give up. We're not ready to give up. But the question we have to ask ourselves very clearly is, am I going to influence the culture or am I going to allow the culture to influence me? And that's what we've been asking in this little mini-series kicking off the new year and just leaning into that just a little bit. In the first couple of messages in the series, we tried to lay a foundation for you in terms of your own cultural war. This, this identity crisis, this who am I in Christ, what does it mean to be a follower of Christ in a world that seems to be increasingly intolerant of Christianity and its tenets. And so we tried to help you to know that culture is going to try to rename you, but you are not who the culture says you are. You are who Jesus says you are. Last week we talked in very specific terms about the reality that culture changes, but God doesn't. And it's critically important that we understand what we believe. Again, not based on current thought, because that's going to change constantly, but based on the truth of God's Word. And, and I just challenged all of us to, to stop once in a while and do a, a checkup, an assessment on what do I really believe, and why do I believe it, and where are those beliefs leading me? Because every belief leads to a behavior that ultimately leads to a destiny. Today, as we wrap this series up, and I'll just say quickly, next week we're starting a series called Love is a Verb. We're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 13 together, and I'm just really excited about that series. We're going to be talking about love is patient, love is kind, love is, uh, love is not boastful, uh, and those are really easy things to do, right? Right? So you want to come and be a part of learning how to do that thing and how to love in those kinds of ways. And if you know anybody that has any relational issues whatsoever, you want to bring them to church with you next weekend, okay? Anybody know anybody that has any relational issues? The only, the only people that don't are hermits. Come on. So today we're going to keep talking about culture wars, but now we're going to talk about it in terms of us as a family. Can I tell you as directly as I know how, I believe that we at the bridge, particularly in Goldsboro, but maybe the church as a whole, is at a historic pivot point in our lives. I don't believe for a moment that God is done with the bridge any more than he's done with America. I believe he has positioned us and prepared us to make a real difference in the world. Can I get an amen on that one? But we've got to make a question. We've got to ask a question before we move forward and before we make that reality. And here's the question. Are we going to focus on maintaining our comfort or are we going to invade the culture? You can't have it both ways. Does that make sense? In other words, are we going to be a high-maintenance audience or are we going to be a highly-motivated army? Those are the questions that we have to tackle if, in fact, we as a church family, whether it's our campus or the other campuses, we as a church family, as we lean into making a difference in Goldsboro and Wayne County and Johnston County and beyond, if we're going to really make a difference, we have to ask, am I going to focus on my comfort or on changing this culture? Am I going to require that I be highly maintained or am I going to join this highly motivated army. I can tell you what our Savior prayed for. Would you be interested to know what Jesus thinks about all of that? Moments before he went into an all-night illegal trial, moments before he was 
started that journey that led to his crucifixion, Jesus prayed. Now, anybody believe, Jesus knowing what was coming, that this prayer would have been intense? I mean, if you knew that was ahead of you, you think that last prayer would be intense? You think you'd focus on the most important stuff? Here's part of what he prayed. John chapter 17, verse 15, 16, and 18. I've given it to you in the NIV on the screens. You can look it up in your own Bible, but here we go. Read it with me. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. In other words, don't take them out of this culture. Just protect them from the culture. Make sense? Here we go. They are not of the world, even as I'm not of it. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. What is Jesus saying? I am sending them into the culture. Father, protect them while they go. Here we go. Is that the end of it? That's the end of it. Okay, good. Sorry. I thought it was another phrase. Anyway. <laughs> Bottom line is, he sent us out. He sent us into the world. And he's saying, Father, keep them safe as they go. Jesus said, we are not to focus on our comfort. Here's what people do. It's an amazing thing. We search and search and search for a church that we like. And when we like it, we come. And then we do everything we can to keep it from changing. But life is change. Life is change. And we have to be willing to say, I'm going to do whatever it takes to reach this culture. The message is eternal. The methods are not. So here's what I want to do in the few minutes we've got this morning. I want to give you four things that's got to happen. If we're really going to leverage what God has blessed us with and what he's done in our church family these years, if we're going to leverage that and make a difference in our world, there are four things that just simply got to happen. And then before we leave here today, I want to give you some homework. Don't you love coming to church and getting homework? I'm going to give you three action steps to get started. So let's get right into it. There are four things that got to happen. Number one, if we're going to be a highly motivated army, God's heart must be our motives. God's heart must be our motives. Hear me. When a group of fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ really lean into this prayer that Jesus prayed, everything they do starts with why they do it. Do, do I need to say that again? Everything they do starts with why they do it. So let's make sure we know what God's heart is. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, God is being patient. He does not want anyone to be lost. Luke 19, 19, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. You know what that says? It simply says that everybody matters to God. Say it with me. Everybody matters to God. Look at somebody and say, that even means the jerk at work. I mean, just everybody matters to God. Hear me, guys. God never made a person that he didn't love. And that's why we have to be a highly motivated army. That's why the bridge will never stop reaching, because God cares about everybody. So hear me. If we don't care about what God cares about, who will? More importantly, if we don't care about what God cares about, which is everybody, why should they listen to what we have to say? It may be a well-worn cliche, but it's still true. They don't care how much I know until they know, you know the rest of it? How much I care. If we're going to be a highly motivated army, we've got to make God's heart our motive for all that we do. Hear me, guys. Lean into this. Please hear me. Nothing we do is about growing a church. 
But we're not trying to be a big church. We're already the, already the biggest church in the region. I mean, come on. Nothing we do is about growing a big church. It's just simply that everybody matters to God, and there are lost people all around us. At what point can we say, I got mine. I don't care if they get theirs or not. At what point do we put up a no vacancy sign? Well, it would be uncomfortable for me to move into the middle so that the new people coming in can have a chair. At what point do we say, I don't care? We can't. It's not our option because God's heart defines our motives. Ready for number two? God's mission must define our priorities. God's mission must define our priorities. One of Jesus' last words before going to prepare heaven for us is found in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Go and make followers of what? What does all include? All. All people in the world. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I have told you. How's that for a mission statement worth prioritizing? You, you see what's in there? Some people call it the marching orders for the army of God. But hear me, guys. You don't judge the strength of an army by how many people eat in the mess hall. You judge the strength of an army by how many people are trained and working to accomplish the mission. And that's why the bridge is organized around this vision of giving life by giving Christ. In fact, that defines everything we do and everything we don't do. It defines how we allocate the funds that are given. It, it defines how we allocate our calendar. It defines how we allocate the human resources, the servants that are a part of this family. Because our priorities as a church are defined by his priorities, which are, go back to the verse, what are they? Go, make followers, baptize, teach. That, that's what we do. That's our job. That's our mission. And that's why the four key words of the mission statement for the bridge are belong, commit, grow, and serve. Belong, commit, grow, and serve. Say it with me. Belong, commit, grow, and serve. Each one of those words are specifically designed to help us align our priorities with God's priorities. What does belong mean? It's on the screens. Here we go. To provide a sense of belonging to the broken and the seeking. We're a place where, where everybody that walks through our door gets a hug. We're a place where we don't care how far you've come on your journey. We just care about the direction you're headed from now on. We're a place that's not concerned with what's going on in your life today. We're concerned with where you're going to go from here. We're a place that says God loves you just the way you are. He loves you too much for you to stay the way you are. He wants us to grow. He wants us to change. And so you can come and you can belong before you even believe. I mean, you can sit out there and say, oh, I don't believe a word that guy says. Okay, you're still welcome here. <laughs> Why? Because we accept you the way Jesus does unconditionally. The second word in that mission statement is commit. And it says we're going to bring people to, to, to come to that place where they fully commit their lives to Jesus Christ. In fact, not just to Christ, but to his Family. What you may not know is that when you give your life to Jesus Christ, you become a God, part of God's family, but you also get a whole flock of brothers and sisters. And that's why we offer an owner's class every now and then. In fact, March 5th is the next one. We'll go ahead and write it down now. We're going to do it after the Sunday morning service. Just stick around, feed lunch, take care of your kids, and we're going to have an owner's class. If you're not an owner of the bridge yet, here's your chance. Maybe you are an owner, but you've forgotten uh, some of the stuff that you learned in the owner's class. Plan to be with us. Sign up, get online, write owners on your Connect card, turn it in today, and we'll get you into the owner's class. Why? Because our priorities are God's priorities, which is to help you belong, but it's also to help you commit to Christ and his family and then grow is the third word 
to lead people to an ever-deepening maturity in Christ. When you come to Christ, you're just like a baby. You're not fully mature. You've got room to grow and places to develop and things to learn. And so we're committed to doing that. And that's why we offer all the classes that we do, because our priorities are God's priorities. And then what's the fourth word? It's serve, to demonstrate the love of Jesus by generously giving resources, time, and, and talents. I mean, who's going to do the going and the making and the baptizing and the teaching? Hello, are you out there? Who's going to do that? Somebody say, we are. Say it louder than that. Look at somebody and say, he's talking about us. Look at somebody and say, he's talking about us. He's talking, he's talking about me. He's talking about us because we are the family of God. And the only way that the priorities of this church align with God's priorities is if we who call this place our church align our priorities with God's priorities. Does that make sense? I mean, it is so simple, and yet it is so difficult. Jim, 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 I hear you, but man, that sounds like a lot of work. Why would we do all of that? The answer to that question is simply because the needs are so great. It may surprise some of you because we tend to think of Goldsboro and the Bible Belt as, you know, the church world, and there's a church on every corner, and there's churches all over the place. But I did a little bit of research this week just just to get a, a sense of what's going on around here. Just in the city limits of Goldsboro itself, there are 36,000 people living right now. There are approximately 120 churches. I saw three different uh, sources, and it went from 117 to 123 in th those three different sources. So let's say there's 120 churches in Goldsboro within the city limits of Goldsboro. So do the math. Who are the math people? That means that every church in Goldsboro has to average 320 in order for us to reach everybody in Goldsboro with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we got ours, we can quit. <laughs> I mean, we're already there, right? Can we quit? Thank you for saying that. Because the reality is that an awful lot of churches in Goldsboro average 25 or 30. In fact, I reckon there are 20,000 people within the city limits of Goldsboro, North Carolina alone that never darken the doors of a church. And it is showing up in violence, in drug cultures, in broken families, in the economic world. It's showing up in our city. Why do we work so hard? Because the needs are so deep. It's not just a local problem, though. Leith Anderson says that of the 400,000 churches in America, 86% are stagnant or dying. 13% of those that are growing are growing because of either biological growth, they're making babies, or transfer growth, which means they are catching the people that are leaving the 86% that are dying. That's like shuffling chairs on the Titanic. Less than 1% of American churches are growing through what they call conversion growth. People coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Guys, the church in America is not even keeping up with reaching our own kids. Not to mention the thousands of people around us desperate for Jesus. We cannot rest on our accomplishments. We have to be a highly motivated army because God's heart defines our motives and his mission defines our priorities. Ready for number three? God's good news must define our message. 
God's good news must define our message. Romans chapter 10, verse 13 through 16. Anyone calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But before people can ask the Lord for help, they must do what? Believe in Him. And before they can believe in Him, they must hear about Him. And for them to hear about the Lord, somebody must tell them. And before someone can go and tell them, that person must be sent. It is written, I love this last phrase, it is written, how beautiful is the person who comes to bring good news. Look at somebody and say, man, you are beautiful today. So let me ask you, how many of you love to, to tell good news? Anybody here just, you, you get a hold of good news, you can't wait to tell it? Anybody? When, when our boys were young, uh, they grew up in the Philippines. Kim and I were missionaries in the Philippines uh, in their young years. And, and I'd be gone sometimes a week or two at a time out in the rainforest. And, and, and I would come in, and sometimes I'd get there, and the, and the boys, our three boys, would just, they would be fighting with each other because something good happened while I was gone, and each one of them wanted to be the one to tell me. And they would beat each other up for the chance to be the one that told, I want to tell him. No, I want to tell him. No, I'm going to tell him. I'm older than you. I get to tell him. And I'm going, just somebody tell me, you know. And, of course, Kim then told me that the dryer quit and the, they plugged the TV into the 220. And she told me all the other stuff. But, you know, that, that's the reality. We love to tell good news, guys. If I had a cure for cancer and I didn't tell it, it would be a crime. Right? So how much more of a crime is it if we have the greatest news in the world and we don't share it? Or if we insist on our church focusing on my needs and wants when there are thousands of people around us headed for an eternal hell. You know what the greatest tragedy is to me? Is that I find there are more people ready to hear good news than there are people ready to tell good news. You know what the number one bestseller is and has been the whole time they've kept the bestseller list? It's the Bible. Some would have you believe that's not true, but it's true. People are out there hungry for truth. They're hungry for hope. And anywhere you go, if you get your antenna out, if you pray for opportunities, God will give you opportunities that you never dreamed. I, I make it a habit when I go into a restaurant. Uh, we will we'll give the, the, the waiter, waitress, our order, and I will often say, uh, you know, sometimes I just feel like it's not the right time, but I'll often say, you know what, if, I don't get too personal, but, but before we have our meal, we're going to pray. Um, it, would it be all right if we pray for you while we do that? I've never had one turn me down. And when they say yes, I say, well, is there anything specific I could pray for you about? And I've had them sit down at the table and pour their lives out right there. Why? Because they're hungry for somebody to care. They're hungry for somebody to tell them good news. I came into Applebee's with a friend some time ago, and we're walking through the parking lot, and we're just laughing and joking and talking and having a good time. And as we walked into the little alcove at Applebee's, the hostess was there, and she said, what are you guys so happy about? And my friend said, Jesus. That's all he said, Jesus. And so she seated us, and we had our lunch. And on the way out, we're on our way out, and she looked at me. She said, are you a preacher? Yes, ma'am. And she got me in the little alcove of Applebee's and poured her life out. Her husband left her three weeks before. She didn't know what she was going to do. And I'm thinking, well, I want to help this lady. But he's the one that said, Jesus, what'd you corner me for? <laughs> Here's the truth, guys. People are hurting all over the world. 
They're more hungry to hear good news sometimes than we are to tell it. Maybe, maybe we need to be reminded of how good the good news is. So let me take a minute and do that. See, I see three elements to the good news. You tell me if this is really good news. The Bible says that the good news is fulfillment. John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus said, I have come. What does it say? So that you might have life and have it to the fullest. He did not say, I came to give you a religion to support. He didn't say, I came to give you a bunch of rituals to adhere to. He didn't say, I, gave, I came to give you an organization that you have to somehow manage. He said, I came to give you life. And that in its fullest sense. You, you know anybody? You don't have to look at them or throw an elbow, but do you know anybody that needs fulfillment? Anybody that says, man, I just I don't feel like there's meaning in my life. I feel like I got a to-do list, but at the end of the day, there's nothing meaningful come. I mean, I go to work and I, and I pay the bills and one day I'm going to retire and then I'm going to die. There's got to be more to life than that. Come on, there's more, right? Please tell me there's more. Anybody know anybody like that? In fact, I want you right now to get the name of somebody that you know and love in your mind that if you, you know, if you had a real conversation with them, they would say, life feels kind of meaningless to me right now. They need fulfillment. Just get a name in your mind. We're going to pray for them in just a moment. The second element of good news, the Bible says, is the good news is freedom. John chapter 8, verse 36, if the Son makes you free, you will be truly free. Do you know anybody that's ever said, I'm in a rut? Can't seem to break out of it? Maybe you've said that. I'm in a dysfunctional relationship. I don't know how to break it. I got this habit, and I know it's killing me, but I can't seem to break free from it. I got these hurtful memories, and, and they're continuing to define my present and my, I know my future. Even though they're in the past, I can't break free from them. You know anybody like that? Maybe you are somebody like that. God brought this old white-haired preacher to say to you, Jesus said, good news in me, you can be free. You can be free. You can begin to redefine who you are based on what he says about you. You can begin to establish relationships, healthy relationships that move you forward in life, not hold you back in life. Jesus says, I've come to set you free. Free from worry, free from guilt, free from bitterness. And here's the good, good or good news is the, the more you lean into God, the freer you get. Anybody know anybody needs that? Get their names in your mind. We're going to pray for them in just a moment. There's a third element, and that is the good news is forgiveness. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. I like it in the International Children's Bible because that's written on my level. When somebody sins, he earns what sin pays. What's the word? Death. That Greek word. In the original manuscript is the word thanatos that literally means the misery that always accompanies sin. When somebody sins, he earns what sin pays, misery. Ultimately, eternal death, but immediately misery gets injected into your life and into your relationship. But God gives us a free gift. And what's that free gift? Life forever in Christ Jesus, 1 John 1, 9. If we will confess, he will forgive. You know anybody that needs that? 
Well, let me just ask you, you ever started a project, like a home project or something, and got halfway through it and looked back at it and went, oh, man, <laughs> I wish I could start over. <laughs> I know so much more now than I did before. I wish I could just start over on this thing. A anybody? Yeah? Uh-huh. You ever started a life? Got halfway and wish I wish I could start over? A marriage? Wish we could just start over? Well, here's good news. You can. Jesus said, I will give you a clean slate. I will give you a fresh start. I will forgive you of the things that you have done and failed to do and the things you've said and failed to say. I will give you a fresh start. You can be, as Bobby Ann sang for us this morning, you can be clean. What a feeling to know that I am clean and I can stand before a holy God and all I'm going to get from him is smiles and love and embrace. What a feeling to know. I don't have to live in fear of being found out because the skeletons in my closet could get exposed one day. I'm clean. What a feeling. If that isn't good news, I don't know what good news is. Anybody here know anybody that needs that? So get a name in your mind. We're going to stop and pray right now before we wrap up. At least one name. Maybe there's a handful, but... Get a name. I want you to be specific. Get a name in your mind of somebody that needs forgiveness, that needs freedom, that needs fulfillment. And we're going to pause and pray for them right now. I want you to pray with me. Pray in your own words. Pray silently or aloud. I don't care, but let's pray. Lord, you know who they are. You know what they need. Use me to bring good news. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Pastor Jim, I, I, I hear you. I, I, I get it. I, I accept that God wants everybody to know him. I, I believe that, that we need to care about uh, people the way he does. And, and yeah, I, I want God's mission to be my priority in life. And I, and I want to experience good news. And, and I want to share good news. But how are we going to do that? One of my favorite pet peeves is for a preacher to tell me all the stuff I ought to be doing, but never tell me how to do it. Does that, does that bother you? You ought to be a better father. Okay, cool. But how? <laughs> you ought to be a better wife. Okay, right. But how? Well, let me tell you how. That's the fourth thing we gotta, that's got to happen, okay? If we're going to be a highly motivated army, number four, God's method must define our strategy. God's method must define our strategy. Here it is, Titus chapter 2, verse 10. Read it with me. One, two, three, go. Show you can be fully trusted so that in every way you will make the teaching about God attractive. Simply put, Pastor Jim paraphrase, you can't just tell good news. You have to live good news. Now, I'm not suggesting you fake it till you make it. Because unbelievers can see a fake from a mile away. Am I right? Our oldest son came to me one time and said he had a friend of his who told him one day, you know, I, I don't believe a word your dad says. It made Andrew mad when the guy said it. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, he just really struggled with that. And he was telling me about it. And he said, but he went on to say, but I believe he believes it. And I said, Andrew, I'll take that. Because when he finds himself in crisis, where do you think he's going to go? He's not going to go to the people that he agrees with everything. He's going to go to the people that he thinks are the real deal. He's going to go to the people that he thinks have integrity. I don't believe a word he says, but I believe he believes what he says. So what am I saying? I'm suggesting that you get so serious about your relationship with Christ, 
goes so serious about your faith that good news becomes reality in your life and it just comes out of who you are because you're living it in a way that it actually attracts people to the Savior. In fact, i got to ask you, if you're a follower of Christ and your life hasn't attracted anybody to the Savior lately, maybe it's checkup time. Maybe you've forgotten how good the good news is because whether you like it or not or you even realize it or not, there are people watching you simply because you name the name of Jesus Christ. And I dare say there's some of you in this room right now that there's somebody who's watching you closely who's that close to making a decision for Jesus Christ and they're waiting to see if you're the real deal before they step across the line. Not pretending we're perfect. They're just living it out so that even when something happens, they go, man, how did you deal with that? I, you know, his name is Jesus. He helps me through stuff. Why do we live our lives that intentionally? Because the stakes are so high. They are eternal stakes. I'll say it again. Nothing we ever do is about growing a church. It is, however, about helping a nation that's desperately in need of fulfillment and freedom and forgiveness. They're desperately in need of Jesus. Hear me. Believe me. When you live good news, they will come. They will come. When they do, you have to be ready which is the second part of the strategy. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, always be ready to answer everyone who asks you to explain about the hope you have, but, what does it say? Answer in a gentle way and with respect. Jesus said, I'll send the Holy Spirit, He will empower you, and you will be my witnesses all over the world. Peter's now saying, be ready to get testify when it's time to be called on as a witness. That's all he's saying. You ever heard somebody say, well, you don't really have to go out there preaching. My life is a witness. I have a deeply theological expression for that. Yeah, I am so close to God. I walk into a room and people start repenting. What can I say? Even Jesus told it. Come on. Even Jesus told it. Give me a break. I'm not talking about having all the answers to their questions. No one, you may, want to, you may want to put this out on social media somewhere with hashtag culture war. No one has ever been won to Christ because you won the debate. I'm saying be ready to explain the hope that you have. Isn't that what Peter said? Gently, respectfully, this is who I was. And then I met Jesus. This is who I'm becoming. And now I have hope and fulfillment and freedom and forgiveness, that's, that's it, that's it, that's it. Just simply be ready to share why you have the hope that you have. So let's get started. We're out of time. Homework assignments. Ready? And you jot these things down unless you have a, one of the memories that you remember everything. Like me, steel trap right there. Number one is make a prayer list. Make a prayer list. You've already started yours this morning. We've already prayed for at least one person this morning, right? If God's the source of power for everything we do, then why would we start this journey without praying first? Can I get an amen? So we're going to pray, but don't just pray for the people on that list. Pray for opportunities to live good news in front of them. 
And then every time you're around them, be intentional about, Lord, you're going to give me an opportunity to live good news. I'm not going to whine in front of them. I'm not going to complain in front of them. I'm not going to be that guy I'm, you know, that argues and debates all the time. I'm just going to live good news in front of them. Pray that when you share good news, that you'll do it respectfully and gently. You know why some people have never led anybody to Christ? It's because they're obnoxious in the way they go about it. Turn or burn, die and fry while we go to the sky. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. Doesn't work. It's not what Peter said. But you are ready to just simply say, this is who I am. Can, can I tell you, for me, I mean, if I can just get personal for a moment. Kim and I have you know, been in ministry for a lot of years. And uh, God's given us some wonderful opportunities to be in ministry. And, and I've had the incredible honor. I, I just, I'm blown away because I'm a kid from Bladenboro. Bladenboro's a little town of 1,000 people, southeast corner of, of North Carolina. But God's given me the opportunity to, to pray with tens of thousands of people to receive Christ. We were in India one time and, and, uh, in, a, in a church that had 5,000 seats and it was packed. And we, when I called people that wanted to be saved to the altar, the altars filled up after the first service. And the pastor and I are working through the altar, praying with people to receive Christ. And I can hear music in the background, but I'm not paying attention to it. I'm praying for people. And as we prayed for the last person to receive Christ, pastor tapped me on the shoulder and said, it's time to preach. The music we'd been hearing was the praise and worship for the second service while we were in the altars working. Went up and preached again, called people that want to receive Christ, went down to the altars, they filled up. We're praying for people, working through the altars for people to receive Christ. And, and, and as we prayed for the last person, Pastor tapped me on the shoulder and said, okay, it's time to preach. And I went and preached for the third service. Thousands of people coming to know Jesus Christ. Some would have you believe Christianity is dying. Hear my words. 355,000 people are coming to Christ somewhere on the world, in the world every day. More people have come to know Jesus Christ since World War II than in the 1900 years between Christ's coming and World War II. God is on the move in the world. We have to be ready to pray and be available. But here's why I told you all of that to say this. Uh, I don't know those people. Maybe in heaven I'll recognize them. I don't know, but I don't know those people. But there have been 22 people in my life that I made a prayer list for, and I prayed for, and I befriended, and I was ready to, to be there for them and to give them hope that I had the chance one-on-one -on -one to pray with them to receive Christ. And I promise you, I know them, and I know their names, and I know who they are. I got a call from one of them just a few months ago, living in Rock Hill, South Carolina now, and I didn't even recognize their voice when they called. It's been 25, 30 years since I heard from them. And they said, Pastor Jim, we just wanted you to know we were digging through a box and we found the Bible that you gave us 30, 40 more. It was before Kim and I married, 45 years ago. Wow, it is so good to hear from you guys again. But you know where that came from? Do you know why I've always had that one person, that short prayer list? Do you know why? Because three weeks after I got saved, a good friend of mine went to high school with, had joined the army, and he came home, and he sat in church with me. And, uh, and when the altar call was given that day, 
the Lord spoke into my spirit very quietly, said, if you'll invite Donnie to go to the altar, he'll go and he'll give his life to Jesus. And I fought it. I said, no, 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 uh, no, uh, I won't know what to say. He'll think I'm crazy. He doesn't even know I've gotten saved. Well, he's off at the army. I don't know what to say. And so I pushed it down. A few minutes later, it came back again. All you got to do is just tap him on the shoulder. Or you can just put a hand on his knee. He, he'll go to the altar. No, 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 I'm not going to do it. And after I fought that two or three times, the lady in the front, uh, the row in front of us leaned back and said, Donnie, if you want to go to the altar, I'll go with you. And he nearly broke my legs crawling over me to get to the altar. And he gave his life to Jesus. He's a pastor here in North Carolina now. And I missed out on that blessing. He's in the altar. And I should be feeling happy for him. A miserable for me. Because I could have been the one in the altar praying with him. And I promised myself and I promised God I'll never let that happen again. I'll never let that happen again. Make a prayer list. Get intentional about it. Got it? Ready for homework number two? Be a bridge. The only way our church is a bridge is if we who make this place up is a bridge. What's a bridge for? What does a bridge do? It helps people get from one side to the other. So just simply be a bridge. Well, how can you be a bridge? Just listen. Have you figured out yet that everybody's hurting somewhere? Have you figured that out yet? restaurant with a friend of mine not too long ago and the lady that was serving us was really not doing a very good job. I mean, she was really struggling. Uh, to get it done and to get it right and she made mistakes and she was slow and I could tell she was really frazzled and you know my first reaction is man service in this restaurant's really poor boy it's going to be reflected in the tip I'll tell you what I'm just this is bad and the Lord began to speak into my spirit maybe something's going on in her life so after we finished our meal as we're leaving my friend went off to pay the check and, and uh, hit the men's room before we left. And while he was gone, I saw her in a corner of the restaurant, kind of a private place. And I slipped up and I said, are you okay? She said, oh, no. This is my first week, and I'm not sure I'm going to get it right. And I need this job so badly, and I just don't know what to do. And I, just, and I said, can I pray for you? And she said, oh, I would love that. And she teared up. And I just prayed that a peace would wash over her, that she'd be able to remember what she needed to remember and learn what she needed to learn. And she started crying right there in the corner of the restaurant. Simple little prayer. God help her to be at peace and to learn. We finished. She said, oh, thank you. I needed that so much. And I said, do you have a relationship with Jesus? She said, well, no, not really. I said, well, you can have one right now if you want it. She said, oh, I need him. And we prayed the sinner's prayer right there in the restaurant. And I gave her the name of a ch local church. I said, you may want to check this church out. Good people. And I left her standing in the restaurant. People are hungry. All you got to do is listen. You got to pay attention to what's going on in their lives. Because everybody's hurting somewhere. Can I get an amen? And Jesus cares. So we have to. To. Build a short list. Begin to pray. Build a bridge by listening and caring. And then number three. Easiest one of all. Invite them to the bridge. We will make sure that when they get here. They will be welcomed. We will make sure that when they get here, they'll have a good experience. We'll make sure when they get here that the music is excellent and that the preaching makes sense and that everybody's genuine among them. We'll make sure that their kids are in a safe place. We'll make sure that everything that they need is positioned so that the Holy Spirit, Spirit can speak to them. Your job is to go get them and bring them. Build a prayer list. Be a bridge. Invite them to church. 
You're going to hear a lot more about that in the days ahead as we lead to, to Easter. We're actually setting some goals for Easter, but they are not attendance goals. Hear me. Nothing we do is about growing a church. It's about emptying hell and populating heaven. We're going to set some goals for Easter this year that are salvation goals. Don't know what those numbers are yet, but we're going to be praying that God will bring record numbers of people to faith in Jesus Christ this year on Easter. There's lots of research that shows that people will respond to an invitation to Easter when they won't any other time of the year. So what are we going to ask you to do? Build a prayer list. Be a bridge. Start praying now that God will give you opportunity and then just invite them to Easter. Don't have to wait for them, but at the very least, bring them to our Easter services. We're going to add services here and the other campuses. We're going to make sure the opportunity is there, and then we're going to present the gospel as clearly as we know how. Why? Because there are thousands upon thousands of people around us desperately need Jesus. And they're just waiting for us to make God's motive our motives, to make God's priorities our priorities, to make God's mission our mission, to make God's strategy our approach. Let me tie all this together and we'll pray. Matthew chapter 5, verse 35 and 6, from the message paraphrase, when he looked out, Jesus is who we're talking about when he, Jesus, looked out over the crowds. His heart broke. That's the first thing you pray for you. Lord, when I see people, am I broken? Be brave enough to say, Lord, would you break my heart over what breaks your heart? Instead of getting mad about it and frustrated and raged back at some of the ridiculous things that people far from God say, God, would you break my heart over what breaks your heart? So confused and aimless they were like sheep with no shepherd. Jesus said, what a huge harvest. He looked out over the crowds in the mall, in the theater, in Lowe's, in the parking lots, in the schools, on base. And all he saw was a harvest ready to be gathered. But here's the issue. How few workers. On your knees, he said. Pray for harvest hands. I do not believe for a moment that God brought this church into existence to be a high-maintenance audience. I don't but I do believe he's called us to be a highly motivated army. Army with a mission. I'm inviting you to sign up. Let's pray. You see us. You know us. You know who we are. For real. You know our own personal struggles and our own agendas and you know the things that we're afraid of and the things that we're excited about, you know. And all we're asking, Lord, is that you use us to do what you want to do in this world. That you let us partner with you as you work in the world. Believing, Holy Spirit, that you'll go before us, prepare the way, and you'll inspire us in the moment to do what needs to be done. We're just simply saying... I'm here, Lord. Use me. 
Can you pray that prayer this morning quietly? Or scream it, I don't care. I'm here, Lord. Use me. You see us. You know who we are. You know what's going on in our minds right now. Would you hear that prayer from those who are praying it? And give us this quiet assurance that you're going to do something through us that ultimately will bless us because that's just how you work. While your heads are still bowed, if you came to this place today and in desperate need of good news, here's your chance. Fulfillment is available to you. Freedom is available to you. Forgiveness is available to you. Come on, guys. We don't even live up to our own standards, much less God's. Forgiveness is available. In the quietness of this moment, just pray a simple prayer with me. Jesus, I'm sorry. I've messed up so many times. Would you give me a fresh start today? I'll put you at the center of my fresh start. All I'm asking is, will you give me the fulfillment, the freedom, and the forgiveness that you promised? In Jesus' name.